this is Father Gabriel Kite, and this is The Road to Emmaus for Radio Maria England. Welcome, everyone. So glad you could join us on today's program. Today is the first episode in a six-part series on the Church's teaching on the Eucharist. Not only what the Church teaches, but also uh, an invitation to respond to this awesome gift that the Lord gave us in the Holy Eucharist. And so the backdrop for our six episodes is a passage from Scripture. Perhaps it's familiar to you. It's from the title of the of the programs, really. It's called The Road to Emmaus. And it's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning at verse 13 and ending at verse 35. If you're following with us, perhaps you could take that quote and uh, spend some time in prayer with it later on. But the reason I chose this scripture as a backdrop for our episodes going forward is really because I wanted to propose that our time together would be not just an occasion to learn what the church has taught and what the Lord has given us, but to really let it be a spiritual pilgrimage as well, that perhaps together we could make the journey with these two disciples who were leaving Jerusalem uh, quite disappointed with questions, you know, um, with hopes that they had for the Messiah that didn't come to pass. And now they were uh, leaving the place of that, uh, that hope, which was the city of Jerusalem, where so much of their uh, dreams seemed to be coming to fulfillment. And then with the cross, boy, what happened there? You know, and the sense of defeat and disappointment that they had. And so we're walking with them. We're walking with them. And, you know, where are we on that journey? Wherever we are on that journey, the Lord wants to join us because we know from that scripture, as they were walking, this mysterious companion came alongside of them and asked them, you know, what are you discussing? What are, you, what's, what are your concerns? What's on your heart? And a dialogue ensued. And as they proposed their questions and explained to them what their hopes were and how they were disappointed in the outcome of Jesus' life and ministry, you know, they said, are, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened in these days? The Messiah who was to come, whom we thought was Jesus of Nazareth, came and they crucified him, putting him to death. And we are, you know, and they, and they left like, see, this is, this is not how it was supposed to go down. And yet Jesus comes and he speaks to them and he opens them, their minds and their hearts to see, as he himself told them throughout his ministry, you know, I am going up to Jerusalem. I am going to be betrayed into the hands of the leaders. And I will be put to death, but on the third day I will rise. So he himself predicted this and told them that this is where it was going. But we know also from Scripture that their minds were closed. They couldn't yet take that in. And so in this walk to Emmaus, the Lord comes alongside them and opens up their minds and their hearts to the Old Testament, to everything that came before him, everything that the Father was doing to prepare for his coming, to show them that indeed this was the path that he himself chose to reveal 
not the defeat of the Messiah, but the victory of the Messiah to show that his death on the cross wasn't a tragedy, but that it was him giving himself in love. And not to jump too far ahead, but we know uh, in the upper room the night before he died, when he broke bread with his disciples, he showed them that what he was about to undergo was not a tragedy, but rather it was the expression of him loving us to the end, that no one was taking his life from him, but that he was laying it down freely. And Jesus, as he walks with his disciples, these disciples who actually didn't yet recognize that it was the Lord, But as they were approaching their destination, the little village of Emmaus, evening had come, and the disciples urged this mysterious companion of theirs to stay with us, stay with us, come in. And the Lord meets them in their desire and in their their request, and they sit down together. And in this familiar moment, something the Lord did so many times before with them, broke bread, gave thanks to God, and gave them the bread. In that moment, their eyes were opened. Their hearts, which were burning, as the Lord unpacked for them the scriptures and showed them that, no, this is how it was meant to be. This is how it was supposed to go down. And it wasn't defeat, but victory because it was revealing the unconquerable love of God, their eyes were opened and they could see that it was the Lord. In rushing back to Jerusalem then, at that late hour, filled no longer with disappointment and questions and doubts, but with love and hope and confidence that indeed what they're brethren had said to them before that he was alive, that he was risen, was true. And they themselves had that encounter. They themselves were now witnesses to that reality, that Jesus was alive. And the evidence for it came in the Eucharist, in the breaking of the bread, where the Lord's promise to remain with us to the end is supremely fulfilled then And now Jesus is alive and we are his witnesses as we recognize him in the breaking of the bread and the Holy Eucharist. So there's our backdrop. And I hope already that your hearts are burning and looking and seeking the Lord, willing to bring him your questions and concerns, but also um, a desire that he stay with you, that he come and respond in a confidence that he will unveil to you and reveal to you the truth of his presence, his abiding presence in the Holy Eucharist. So here we go. We're going to begin now. And um, I just encourage you again to um, pray with us as we explore these, these teachings of the church, but also to refer to your catechism. The, the Most of the teaching over these next six episodes comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And you can uh, explore those from 
uh, around 1300, Article 1300 in the Catechism, all the way through to about 1405. So many, many articles there, and you can uh, do some extra study later on and just pray with, uh, pray with us as we take this journey through the road to Emmaus. So pray with us as we make this journey to the road to on the road to Emmaus, uh, and may our hearts truly burn within us as we recognize Him in the breaking of the bread. You can follow us. Um, also, follow the discussion, follow the teaching uh, with the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Most of the teaching I'm sharing today uh, is based on the Catechism. Hopefully, there's uh, I'm sure there's no heresies there anyway. But uh, I'm really focusing and took most of the material from the Catechism. So it begins around 1300 or so, all the way to 1405. So have a look at your catechism and uh, do some extra study in the background if you like. So the Catholic faith is a bit like a puzzle. Individual pieces are hard to understand. You know, we need the full picture to be able to see where each piece uh, fits. It can also be like a tapestry where up close, all you see are individual threads, you know, a number of different colors, but not sure how each thread relates to the other. And so we need to take a step back until the full image on the tapestry comes into view. And so how do we get the big picture of our Catholic faith? Because again, we have so many individual pieces, you know, the sacraments, maybe the rosary, we have devotion to saints, we have certain individual prayers, we have the Holy Father, we have bishops and priests and shrines and indulgences and purgatory and all of these things. And it can seem overwhelming to us if we're not uh, aware of the bigger picture and how all of these various elements fit together. So how do we get the big picture so we can understand our Catholic faith, the different elements of it? And it's really the big picture is found for us and seen for us, seen in the Holy Eucharist. The Eucharist is the beginning and the end, or rather the fulfillment, if we could say it that way, of God's love story that he's been writing from the beginning. In the Eucharist, we see that we are made by love and for love. We also see that here, you know, that God is love, right? God made us in love, and he's destined us in love and for love, and that he's come to give us a share in love. He wants us to dwell in love. And so the Eucharist shows us that, that we are called to communion with God, who is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this is the big picture. And as we explore the teaching of the, of the church on the Eucharist, this big picture will become more and more in focus, and each element of the Eucharist, I uh, just invite you to keep that in mind as we explored the different parts of it, that it's all about uh, love and our destiny to, sh to be in, uh, to share in this eternal exchange of love in heaven with all of the saints where, where every tear will be wiped away and life and love reign. This is our destiny. This is where we are headed. 
St. Irenaeus says this, Our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist, and the Eucharist in turn confirms our thinking. So the Eucharist points us to the center and the meaning of our faith, that it's the person of Jesus Christ, that it's God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus has come to be a window and a door into the life of the Blessed Trinity, into the love of God. And so the Church describes the Eucharist as the source and summit of our faith. You know, we make the journey of our faith from this source, which is God's love for us. This is where we find the strength to follow God, to live our faith in our day-to-day life by experiencing again and again God's gift of love for us. And it's also shows us our destination, the summit. You know, our faith can be like climbing a mountain. Um, And if if we can get lost in the effort of it and perhaps get lost in what's expected of us, how we make this journey, how do we keep going in this journey, you know, uh, it can be disorienting sometimes when you're on a mountain if we lose sight of the summit, where we are headed. And so the Eucharist helps us to remember that our spiritual journey is destined and, and the goal is Christ. You know, Jesus is both the way, the truth, and the life. He, he's the way to the destination, but he's also the end of it. You know, so it's all about Jesus in a nutshell. That's what our faith is all about. It's all about the Lord who's drawing us into his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you know, in this relationship of love and truth. So the Eucharist is indeed the beginning and the end of our journey. And it reveals to us the whole mystery of our Catholic faith, what it's all about and where it's all headed. So welcome, everyone. If you're just tuning in now, this is Father Gabriel Kite, and this is The Road to Emmaus for Radio Maria England. In the teaching of the Church on the Eucharist, there's many names connected to the Eucharist. We think of perhaps, well, Eucharist is one, you know, one name for this mystery, and it means thanksgiving. Sometimes we describe the Eucharist as the sacrifice of the Mass. You know, it speaks of Calvary. And we'll get into that. Other times it's spoken of as Holy Communion or simply Holy Mass or the Blessed Sacrament. In other, um, mostly in the uh, Eastern Catholic churches, we hear of the Eucharist described as the Divine Mysteries. Although we do speak of that in the Latin rite at the beginning of Mass, you know, we call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate these sacred mysteries, these holy mysteries. One of the earliest titles, though, given to the Eucharist was what we've spoken about a little bit already, which is called the the breaking of the bread. In the early church, they put into practice what Jesus himself said to them to do, right? He said, take this, all of you, and eat of it. In the early church, they did as Jesus taught them to do. Take this bread and eat it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. And then he says, right, do this in memory of me. 
which was pointing to this new rite that he was instituting in the celebration of the Passover, this new covenant celebration. And so they did it, and we hear in Scripture how they would gather on the first day of the week, which was Sunday for them, the day of the Lord's resurrection, and they would break bread together. They would break the bread of the Eucharist. Right? And this was the sacred celebration of the new covenant that Jesus himself gave them. The, break, the breaking of the bread, this new rite that Jesus instituted at the Passover meal, has roots all the way back to the Old Testament. And in order to understand a bit more clearly what Jesus was doing in this Passover meal, adding this new element to it, we need to explore some of the signs that appear in the Old Testament, particularly around bread and wine, because, in well, in every sacrament, I'll say this, in every sacrament, signs, Jesus gives us particular signs to use that point to the reality of the grace that he himself is communicating through those signs. The sacramental signs, in this case, are bread and wine. And the bread and wine point to, to the grace that God is giving us through this sacrament. And so what do we see in the Old Testament around these signs, bread and wine? Well, um, if we think of the story of Abraham meeting the priest king Melchizedek, um, who was the priest king of um, Jerusalem, we see this priest offering bread and wine you know, to God. And so bread and wine were seen as an offering of thanksgiving to God, a sign of praise to God to be returned to him. Um, these sacrifices returned to him. We'll explore the, the meaning of sacrifice in later episodes. But then we also see the Israelite people eating bread in haste at the Passover meal, leaving slavery in Egypt, right? This unleavened bread that they were taught to to eat while standing, you know, to be able to move quickly as the Lord drew them out of slavery uh, into freedom through the promised land. And then we see later bread appearing in the desert, this mysterious bread called manna coming up from the desert as a miracle feeding God's people. It was food for their journey uh, from slavery to freedom. It wasn't always pleasant food. They wished that sometimes, you know, in their... Um, impatience to get back to Egypt so they could have their leeks and onions. Um, but they needed, and, and in that, you're right, they needed to discover that the bread that the Lord gave them was enough for them and that he was leading them to a better place. Uh, wine. Wine in the Old Testament was a sign of celebration. We see it's in the Passover meal as well. And when they drank the wine, it, it pointed them to, it was, you know, a celebration in the moment of God's grace, of what he was doing with them, and also a celebration of what he did for Israel in the past. But wine especially had uh, an eschatological meaning. What does that mean? A meaning that pointed to the end times, when God would full, definitively fulfill his promises for Israel. You know, that the Messiah would bring in this new reign of God in the world and for Israel. And so when they drank the wine, it was a sense of 
um, praying and celebrating the hope that they had that God's promises would be fulfilled. And fast forwarding then to the New Testament, we see Jesus taking up these symbols of bread and wine and bringing them into fulfillment, filling them with a new meaning and depth um, that was unprecedented because he indeed was fulfilling the promises of God. We see Jesus uh, in the new Passover, right? His very self um, becoming the lamb of sacrifice. Before in the Passover meal, they had a lamb that they offered and his blood was put over the doorposts, um, symbolizing God's mercy, you know, death passing over those places where the blood was poured, where, the, where the, uh, the doors were marked with his blood and the Passover lamb was eaten, right? Jesus enters into that Passover meal and himself becomes the Passover lamb. And he himself is the bread that is broken. He himself is the bread that is eaten uh, as Israel is brought from slavery into freedom, not a physical, geographical deliverance from a place, a physical place of slavery, but that um, reality of the spiritual salvation, you know, being set free from sin, interior bondage, so that we can truly live in a place of freedom from within. So, and then we see Jesus also the multiplication of the loaves. In every gospel, we see this miracle described. It was a very important miracle that spoke of Jesus' identity and um, the purpose of his mission. And in the multiplication of the loaves, a significant part of it is that, well, an evident part of it, we'll say, is the, the, the left, you know, the, the amount that God had, had given was always more than enough. And it seemed to obviously exceed the resources of the apostles and disciples. Like, this is all we have, Lord. We have five loaves and two fish. Okay, give them to me. And the Lord multiplies it. So we see that the fulfillment of God's promises for us does not happen through human resources through human ingenuity okay this is what i this is how i can do it this is what i need to make it happen so i need to strive to be you know putting all of my resources and you know because we know that in the end we don't have enough but god wants to give us what we need if we surrender the little that we have to god he will multiply it because um yeah he will multiply it and also, you know, that's an act of faith. It's like, Lord, you are the author of the promises you've given us. And you are their fulfillment. You will bring them to fulfillment, not me. My responsibility is simply to surrender and to trust and to believe. We see later with wine. This is the miracle that we often pray for, perhaps. Uh, turning water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. Wow, you've saved the best for last, the guests say. The Lord comes in the fulfillment of the Father's promises at the end of, of the ages, right? To come and to bring the best wine. And there's always more than enough, 
right? It's the sign of the superabundance of God's gift. So water and wine, uh, sorry, bread and wine speak of this um, mystery of God's gift to us. And so that's this, the, the meaning of the Eucharist, right? The, the bread and the wine becoming the body and blood of Christ are the superabundant gift of God. He's given everything, his only son, all of himself to us in these simple signs that become, uh, that are transformed into the supreme gift of God's love for us. We also see a connection between the Eucharist and the cross already here. Belief in Jesus is belief in the Eucharist and the cross. They're the same mystery. Many were scandalized by the thought that Jesus would die on the cross, that he would be treated as a criminal, and that he would die. You know, this is no image of a victorious Messiah that we were anticipating. People walked away. People also walked away when he told them, you know, that his body and blood were food for the journey, that he himself was this new Passover, that he himself was the bread in the desert on the way to the promised land. People were scandalized by that. They couldn't accept that. And so the mystery of the Eucharist and the mystery of the cross are scandals. They're difficult to receive according to human wisdom. We need God's wisdom to be able to understand them and to receive them. And as we explore the scriptures, we're filled with this divine wisdom so that we can receive this gift of God's love for us. And so in this image of the breaking of the bread, the church finds her identity and also how she worships and prays. You know, this is where our identity truly comes to the fore when not so much when Yes, we can speak of that, you know, love in action for sure. You know, how we serve the poor, how we give to those in need, how we love one another. Absolutely, these are essential. But all of these find their deepest meaning in how we pray and how we worship because our love comes from our love of God. And so the Eucharist has been at the center of the church's worship from the beginning. The apostles are priests. When Jesus instituted the Eucharist in the upper room, this breaking of the bread, when he had commanded his apostles to do this in memory of me, he was um, making them his priests, that they would be the ones. This was the new sacrifice of the new covenant. This is how it was to be celebrated in the church and offered. And they were the ones to do the celebrating and the offering. The apostles were commissioned to offer this new sacrifice this new celebration of the covenant, the new covenant. No longer were these priests to offer bulls or uh, other sacrifices stipulated by the law, but now Jesus, the uh, author of a new covenant, gives them a new sacrifice to offer. And so the church does it. The church has been doing it, been faithful to the Lord's command to offer this sacrifice on Sunday and now, in fact, every day. For the salvation of the world and celebration of God's fulfilling his covenant promise to us to save us and to give us new life. And so when you look at it, we see, you know, all of this familiar elements from the Last Supper, from the church's early liturgy, all uh, gets expressed in the church's current liturgy. You know, we have readings from the Old Testament, readings from the prophets and the Psalms. 
The priest prays a prayer of thanksgiving, like we hear Jesus doing, you know, blessing God. And then the words of institution, right? The same words that Jesus spoke in the upper room are spoken by the priest today. And the Holy Spirit comes. And by the power of those words, the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. And so we're on a journey. You know, the journey of the disciples to Emmaus is the journey the church has been on from that time. You know, we too, every time we celebrate the breaking of the bread, every time we go to Mass, we too walk with the disciples, hearing again the prophets, the fulfillment of God's promises. We hear from the Old Testament, and we enter into that moment in the upper room where the Lord breaks the bread, and we recognize him there as risen and alive. And we're given that communion to make this journey as witnesses of his love. So we're just beginning here. We've made these first faltering steps, perhaps, into the teachings of the Church on the Eucharist. I hope you've enjoyed today's program. Next episode, we'll be exploring the Eucharist as sacrifice. How the Eucharist is indeed the celebration and the memorial of the Lord's offering on the cross. So we'll unpack that together and take uh, a few more steps along the road to Emmaus. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time. <music>